tell you guys something without breaking up too bad, but um, I spent 15 years in children's ministry. Um, most most youth pastors have like you, you children's ministry, youth, eventually assistant pastor, senior pastor. But for whatever reason, because I'm slow, it took me 15 years. But most people don't spend that long in children's ministry. But I did, and God was, was in it, and I stayed there and served faithfully and just where God had me. And I was happy to do it, and I just never had any aspirations to do anything different because I knew that's where God called me. But spent a lot of years in ministry working um, oversaw a ministry of newborn to sixth grade. And um, anyways, you know, the, the passion for, for children's ministry and to love your kids is something that we brought when we planted this church. And it's something that by the grace of God, God has raised up amazing people in our Sunday school who have this vision and this heart. You know, we had a, had a sign in my office for children's ministry and it said babysitting. And then you guys know that red circle with the line through it. Because Sunday school is not babysitting. We don't believe that philosophy at all. It's ministry. It's valuable ministry. Statistically, they say that a a large percentage of those who go on and walk with the Lord for the rest of their lives, they met the Lord at a younger age. The younger they're introduced to Christ, the more likely you are to walk with the Lord. And the, the older you are, the more difficult it is to see somebody come to Christ. And so those seeds are planted. And so we have a philosophy from the nursery to sixth grade to love and minister and communicate the Word of God with these kids. And so our children's ministry has an amazing staff. But I want to tell you something about these four kids behind me. The reason why we have an amazing children's ministry is because these four right here, literally, they run your children's ministry. They, they have been, I mean it, like, they, they have been so faithful for years. And then when COVID hit, you know, we had 80% of our staff that, that, that wasn't comfortable coming and respectfully so and rightfully so. And, and these guys held it down for you guys for the last like three months. So again, I just want to thank you guys so much. The Lord sees what you're doing. God loves you guys. And it, it is ministry. It's not just babysitting and work. There's an eternal reward in heaven for, you, for, for your heart to love these little guys and see these little guys. I mean, you know, you think about a little guy who, who grows up and ends up in prison versus somebody who grows up and ends up loving Jesus. And that's the difference we're making in young people's lives. And because of you guys, we, we got a phenomenal children's ministry. So thank you guys so much for all you do. Okay? Even if your sword skills need a little work, okay? Well, I'll give you a pass on that. All right, you guys, thank, thank, thank you guys. God bless you guys. So VBS is happening. So they just got creative with VBS, as you guys know. So they decided just to do it on Sunday mornings. For the month of September, so um, if uh, you know, invite your friends, invite your neighbors. They'll be doing special stuff every uh, Sunday this week next door. Amen. All right. What else? We got any other announcements? I don't think so. Um, oh yes, we do. Ladies' study is starting this Tuesday. Okay. Yeah. Praise God. Amen. Um. So Tuesday, six thirty. We're starting the Book of Romans. So if you guys know anything about the book of Romans, chapter 1 is heavy, so they're jumping in and going for it. Um, but it's an amazing book study. Romans is fabulous, fabulous study. My wife, if you, most of you guys know, is a phenomenal Bible teacher and just, just gifted by God. And so um, come, ladies, Tuesday, 630. Uh, I think they bring some snacks to share. There's coffee, the fellowship for a little bit. And then um, well, that's that. Amen? Amen. All right, how many of you guys brought your Bibles? All right, let's open them up to 1 Corinthians. You guys may be happy or you may be sad to know that we won't be talking about marriage or sex or any of that stuff today. I, I saw like three guys walk in today. And I'm like, hey, good morning. Where's the wife? Oh, she wasn't feeling good this morning. Next guy, how are you? Good morning. Where's your wife? Oh, she wasn't feeling good this morning. Where, and they're like, where's your wife? Oh, she had to work in Sunday school today. So I'm like, the wives are like, we had enough <laughs> talking about Corinthians chapter 7. No, I'm teasing. That's probably, hopefully not the reason. But good news is we're done with uh, marriage talk for now. And uh, we're going to move on to some other stuff. So Corinthians chapter 8, if you have your Bibles, where we're going to pick up today. You guys excuse me for one sec. All right. Okay, so today, listen, here's the plan for today. Yesterday, or yesterday, last Sunday... I held you guys over uh, about 10 minutes, so today my plan is to give you your 10 minutes back. We'll see if I can do it, okay? But it's really simple what we got in chapter 8. We got 13 verses, and really I want to kind of read them and go through them and just talk to you guys about two things, okay? You guys ready? If you take notes, write this down, the first one, and really the topic of our message today is gray areas, okay? Look at your neighbor and say gray areas, 
Okay. The second topic that we're going to talk about today is a thing that we like to call Christian liberty. So again, look at your neighbor and say Christian liberty. Okay, so gray areas and Christian liberties. Anybody have an idea of maybe where we're going with the concept of gray areas? Okay, gray areas in Christian living. Let's define what that means. Um, The Bible is very clear on um, what is sin and what is not in a lot of areas, but not in every aspect of life. For example, the Bible says um, that if you hate a brother, it's sin. The Bible says that if you have sex outside of marriage, it's sin. The Bible says if you are drunk with wine, it is sin. So, you know, there's things that are non-negotiable in the Bible that I can take you to chapter and verse and I can show you where God calls these behaviors in your life, in my life, sin. There's other areas, big areas of life that, believe it or not, the Bible doesn't really define for us whether they're sin or not. These are called, two of you are learning, all right. These are called gray areas. And, and then with the gray areas, we have a thing that's called Christian liberty that we're going to define and discuss today. Let's look at verse number one as we get into this idea. So this topic is now kind of changing, um, again, uh, tone from last week. The Apostle Paul, as he's talking to the Corinthians and dealing with them, it says, now concerning things offered to idols. So this is about... Um, chapter is about things that are offered to idols, specifically meats that were offered to idols. What does that mean? Well, as you guys know, in the city of Corinth, one of the dominant um, factors in the city of Corinth was the temples. Okay, We talked about in the city of Corinth was like Vegas. It had an isthmus. It was a place where the, the boats would travel in and out, and they would have to cross over and go through Corinth. And so you had plen- plenty of um, transient um, population there and people there and So it was the Las Vegas of its day. And in these temples, there would be a thousand temple prostitutes, male and female, that would enter into downtown Corinth each night. And this was very acceptable. And they would also, in the pagan temples, much like in the Jewish temples, some of these these customs were similar, that they would sacrifice animals. But in sacrificing the animals, there would be lots of, if they were sacrificing oxen or cows or goats, there would be lots of meat that was left over. And this meat was much cheaper to purchase than if you went to the meat market where somebody raised beef or cattle or, I mean, uh, whatever they were raising to sell for meat. And so you could buy this, these excess meats in the markets. Temples would actually have in Corinth, um, you know, like, like our church may have a coffee shop. They would actually have a restaurant where you could go in and you could, you could buy a steak. It was cheaper than going to the regular market. And so it became an issue to the early church that should we eat these meats that were offered to pagan idols. Now, this is not a topic that's necessarily relevant for us today, right? How many of you guys go to McDonald's and like, has this Big Mac been offered to Baal? Right? Or do you, you know, do you go to Walmart and in the checkout stand, do you ask if your, if your meat was offered to an idol before you buy it? We don't do that, and so we don't really necessarily have that particular crossover, but we do have many other of these same type of gray areas that we deal with in Christian living. Anybody think of a gray area that's not defined in the Bible? Okay, very good. Like, over the years, one of the things that, that's come through the Christian mingle and Christian, Christian mingle, Christian circles and those things and culture, Christian culture like Starbucks is very liberal and they have um, supported agendas that are against biblical principles. And so by buying Starbucks coffee, are we sinning? Okay, that's, that's a gray area, you know. And so boycott Starbucks and these kind of topics and issues that, that come up. You know, one of them is, you know, it's smoking, for example. Is it, is it a sin to smoke? Is it a sin to drink? Is it a sin to get a tattoo? It's a gray area. Is it... It's definitely a sin to get a tattoo, by the way. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, um, things that have come through the church, worship styles, that's a big one. For a long time in the church, and maybe not so much in our contemporary church, and we've grown pretty accustomed to it, especially here in Calvary Chapel, but there was a, a, a big season in the church where, you know, it was only an organ that was an, a, a loud uh, instrument in the church. And that church never read Psalm 150, but... Um, 
But then, then what, you know, with a Christian liberty, again, these are gray areas, the Bible, except for the worship music, the Bible does define Psalm 150 pretty clear that you're supposed to use stringed instruments and harps and lures and timbrels and, and dance and, and all these things. But um, <clears throat> how we dress in church, does the Bible define what God's desire, how are, you, how are you supposed to dress as a Christian when you come to church? Again, over the years, it's, some would, would look down and say, you have to, you know, wear a, a, a suit and tie. My uncle, who I love very dearly, and is a dear brother, he's an elder in his church, and he, uh, he's been here. He was here our first Sunday. He came out to support me, and he came to the very first Sunday we planted church, September 1st, 2013. He was here, and it just bothered him so bad that I didn't, I didn't preach in a suit and tie or wear a tie. It just, it just ate him up, and he loved me to death, but he'd just make a backhand comment every once in a while why I wouldn't put a tie on when I preached, you know, and uh, to him, it was important. To me, it was not important. What does the Bible say? Well, it's not necessarily defined. And again, this is a gray area. So we'll talk about some of those today. Um, you know, for a while in the church, if you had long hair, you weren't very Christian. If men wore long hair or if women wore short hair, there was a young man and he, he, he came to his dad and he wanted his dad to buy him a car. And his dad said, I'll make you a deal. If you, um, if you work hard, if you get good grades, and if you cut your hair, I'll buy you a car. So time passed, and the kid was working on the deal, and he came to his dad, and he said, Dad, I've, I've been working hard, and here's my report card. And his dad said, okay, check, you've been working hard, you, you got good grades. And his dad said, but you haven't cut your hair yet. And he said, well, Dad, I've been reading my Bible and working hard. And he said, I found out that in the Bible Jesus had long hair. His dad said, and Jesus walked everywhere he went. <laughs> so you, you could keep your long hair. You know, the truth is, I think if Jesus, you know, to some, to some places and maybe some cultures, if Jesus walked in the church right now, as he would have been in, in all the... Here's the thing. Let me tell you something about Jesus. Jesus doesn't look right now like he did in the first century. Like, don't expect to get to heaven and like... Like, he lived in the first century. He would have culturally dressed how they dressed and looked how they looked and wore his beard and his hair, but... You know, when he got to heaven, he, he could cut his hair, he could shave if he wanted to, he could do whatever, you know, so he could get with the times. But if it was first century Jesus and he walked in in his sandals and his robe and his beard and his long hair, like a lot of churches with the suit and tie attitude, Jesus wouldn't even be welcomed in their church. He'd have to come to Calvary Chapel where we wear t-shirts and shorts. All right, and then it says, let's look down at our Bibles again. So this kind of thing we'll try to topic. Now, um... Again, I want, a lot of this, I'm just going to kind of talk you guys some of through this. I want to be done early today um, about Christian liberty. It's one of the um, questions I get probably often as a pastor. You know, somebody comes to me and, and oh, a couple other Christian gray areas that I didn't mention is, you know, a big one for Christians is movies. What, what, what is sin in the area of movies for Christians? And what are you watching on TV and in the movies? Um, another one, you know... There was a time where in the church, in the conservative churches, that if you danced, it was sinful to dance. But again, that's not biblical. You know, David danced, and Psalm 150, again, calls for us in our worship to dance and, and do those things. But can dancing be sinful? Absolutely, right? And dirty dancing and those kind of things and that idea can be a sinful thing. But the Bible doesn't define one or the other. It's a gray area. And... Um, so how can we know? Another big one is, you know, music. Do you, do you listen to Christian music or secular music? And these are other areas of Christian living that the Bible doesn't define whether they're sin for your life or not. So today as we go through, what I'm hoping to do is give you some perspective in how to define for yourself these gray areas with the big picture. And I'll just give you the, the last crescendo right now, like the big punch at the end of the sermon. I'm just going to give you a spoiler alert. Um, because people come to me all the time and they say, you know, here's one, you know, pastor, 18, 19 year old kid, unmarried, meets a Christian girl, Christian guy, they love each other, plan on getting married in the future. How far can I go and not sin? You know, or again, you know, is this movie sin and this movie not sin? And, and, and it's never my job or it's never, never my place to define for somebody where their gray areas are sin and where they're not. 
And, and so really what I want to do, it's like, you guys heard the saying about if you, if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. If you teach him how to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. So rather than me try to define for people the lines when they come and say, Pastor, is this gray area, that gray area? What do you think about Starbucks? What do you think about, um, you know, this, that, then the other? You know, first answer I'm going to give you is this. What did Dad say? Now, if you don't know me, when I say, what did Dad say, I'm talking about Abba Father. I'm talking about God. I'm talking about Jesus. So when I say, what did Dad say, that means in your relationship with your Abba Father, as you presented this, this topic to God and you've asked God about it, and you've, you, you know, what is God saying to you? Is God giving you a peace about it? Is God giving you an anxiety? One of the ways that God leads us is with a peace and an anxiety. And if you're in a, in a filthy movie and, you know, you know it's not feeding your soul and, and God is giving you a conviction about it, that, that's probably a pretty clear sign for you. You know, and, and so God will guide and lead. But first of all, you take it to the Lord. And, you, and, and here's, the, here's the final point that I said was going to be the end, the crescendo, is that, listen, if your heart, as you walk with God, and it's the same point last, in last week's sermon, all that stuff about marriage and being single and living was put Jesus first. If you put Jesus first is the, is the thing. It doesn't matter if you're married or unmarried. It doesn't matter if you stay that way or if you, if you change, but that, that if you put Jesus first, if you seek first Jesus and His righteousness, then all these things will be added unto you. You won't struggle trying to walk through Christian liberty with, with conviction and, and with disappointment and regret about what's sin and what's not sin because your heart is to please Jesus. Do you want to do what Jesus wants you to do? Jesus said, I must be about my Father's business. How about this one? Jesus said, I only do those things that please the Father. How many of you guys can say that about your life? I only do those things that please the Father. A couple of you just raised your hand. <laughs> Good on you. <laughs> you know, and maybe, maybe we don't, you know, maybe we don't only do those things that please the Father, but maybe some of us could really honestly say, my heart only wants to do the things that please the Father. I think I'm kind of in that boat. Like, I have a heart. I really do have a heart that says, God, I want to do what you want me to do. I want all that you have for me. I want, I want my life to be yes and amen in Jesus. And, and so as we get through this gray area topic, I, I just wanted to start again with the close to say that keep your eyes on Jesus. Relationally, Jesus has to walk you through gray areas by his Holy Spirit because the Bible doesn't necessarily define them all. Hey, I want you guys to be familiar with one verse, though, as we get through this and kind of keep your, your, your finger, your mind on this idea. I want you to even turn there with me, if you will. Go towards the back of your Bible. We're looking for Second Peter. You get to Revelation, you went too far. If you got to Hebrews, keep going farther, James. Looking for Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter. Highlight this verse. Underline it if you write in your Bibles. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, And His, capital H, divine power has given us all things, everybody say all things, that pertain to life and godliness. Okay, one more time. And His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So what do you lack as far as your life and godliness concerns? Nothing. God's power has given you all things that you need for life and godliness in walking with Jesus. So when I say the Bible doesn't cover that or cover that, I just want to preface that and just make sure that I'm clear that, that, the, that, that the Word of God and walking in Jesus, you do have all that you need. You may just not have it defined for you. We talked about last week, the Bible doesn't have a manual on marriage, um, you know, that's 100 pages long. It has two commandments, one for a husband and one for a wife, basically. But here's the deal. When, when the Bible is silent on these issues, it, it forces you to do what? It forces you to seek God's Holy Spirit in your life to answer these questions. And it adds that threefold cord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as Jesus is the Word and the Father is our Abba Father and the Holy Spirit is our practical guide and lead who, who speaks to us and encourages us and teaches us and shows us right and wrong in our lives. 
You know, there's even an area of life where the Bible says that for one person to do the action is not sin, and another person who does the same action, it is sin in a gray area topic. And and to him who, who has a conscience against it and violates his own conscience and does it anyways, it's sin. And maybe another guy does it innocently and doesn't, doesn't feel that conviction, and to him it's not sin. So again, I love this dynamic that God, God gives us that requires you. We can't, we, we can't just have the words on the Bible with no power coming through them to live a godly life. Now, the Word of God is, is, is powerful, but by itself it's a book with letters in it. But, but through the, the life that Jesus gives it, through the life that the Holy Spirit quickens it to our heart, through the relationship that we have with God as we read it. The Bible says about the Bible that it's spiritually discerned. So it's having this intimacy in God. We say here, read your Bible and pray every day. And that's so life-changing, I promise you. You want to change your life practically and simply? Get up a little early every morning and read your Bible, and I promise you, by the power of God, your life will get better. It's, a, not, it's not from me. That's from God and from the Word. It, it says it in Joshua chapter 1. It says it in Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is he who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Upon it he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of many waters, who bear forth its fruit in its season. In Joshua 1, 8 and 9, it says the same thing, that if you meditate on the Word of God day and night and be careful to do all that is in it, you will have good success and prosperity. And not not monetary prosperity, but the prosperity that your soul needs, that your life needs. And two simple recipes to be in the Word of God. But listen, I want you to understand, the Bible, as I preach over and over again, it's not a book of morals. It's not a book of I have to do this and I can't do that. This is good and this is bad. And I start writing lists of of what's right and what pleases God and what makes God angry. And and if I follow this list and avoid this list, that's not what it's about. You need to be in the Word of God every day. But to be in the Word of God is to meet Jesus. It's to know God intimately and personally and to hear from God that the Word of God is, is spiritually discerned and that your spirit is connected. You could get up and read your Bible every day till you're blue in the face as a, as a rote monetary just going through the motions act and it won't, won't do anything for you. But if you get up every day and you get in the Word of God to connect with Jesus and, and you make it intimate and personal about hearing God and knowing God, your life then will change. Amen? And so it is within the Word of God, and these gray areas in your life get defined. You know what happens in these gray areas? They start to fall away. I can remember the same, being in the same place. You know, my testimony is I grew up with no church, no God in my family. Nobody in my family was born again. Nobody went to church. Nobody ever took me to church. One time in junior high for a season, I had a neighbor friend that was a Christian family. Only Christian family I knew growing up, they invited me to church. And I went for, for a youth group to, the, to my, my, my neighbor's church for a little bit in 7th and 8th grade. I had a little experience with Jesus there. And, and then back to life. And I stopped going to church. I went to high school. And by the time I was 20 years old, I was fully addicted to drugs and, and, a, and a debauchery lifestyle. And I asked Jesus in my heart at 20 years old. And my life changed. And I was super green. And I didn't have a history of church or knowing the Bible or anybody who was Christian other than a little extent in junior high. And trying to figure out what was right and what is wrong. But God led me in a way that I, I, I focused on Jesus and knowing Jesus. And, and people didn't have to tell me. I didn't need a, a list. You know, uh, the, 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 what, what was my music in that day? I saved in 1994. Were they, was, was I having CDs? I'm drawing a blank. It wasn't cassettes still, was it? Changing-ish. I think there were CDs. I think I had my CD carrier. But I tell you, when I became a believer in Jesus... I could thumb through my CDs and my music set and be like, I don't need that. That's probably not going to feed my soul and, and get rid of that trash. And some things I just, I didn't need a, a, a Bible verse to tell me they were wrong and right. My drug paraphernalia, probably should get rid of that. And I probably shouldn't sell it. I should probably trash it. And so, um, so again, you guys, I, I hope you're catching really what I'm saying is that that a lot of these questions are defined through relationship with God. Amen? Okay, so now we can move on. Verse number two. 
Oh, no, no, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Verse 1, we didn't finish it. <laughs> okay, now concerning things we listen to offers. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. That is a very important foundational biblical verse, okay, that you need to have as a part of your bag as a Christian. Knowledge puffs up and love edifies, okay? Much learning. Even even Peter, in teasing Paul, said uh, that, that much learning has driven him mad or much learning has made him confusing at times. You know, I forget who G. Kemmel Morgan, I think it was said, who there's only two ways to make you ignorant. And one is not enough education. And the other one is too much education. And, and again, um, th- this is the concept that I just got done preaching. Lo- knowledge puffs up. And some people approach the Bible to be the smartest guy in the Bible, to have the best theology, to know how to fight other Christians when it comes to theological arguments. And that knowledge is, is again, don't get me wrong, that knowledge can be good. And God tells us to study the word, show thyself approved, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's your call to be a, 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 a studier and an and a understander and a student of God's word. But as you do that, if you do it just to seek knowledge, what's going to happen? It's going to puff you up. It's going to make you prideful. It's going to make you want to fight with people about who's right and wrong. And you're going to miss the heart of what the Bible's all about. The Bible says, but love does what? You're not sure. I'm losing this crowd. I'm going to, I'm going to invite the uh, dancing monkeys to come up in a minute. Got to entertain you guys. Got to wake you guys up. Hey, um, look at verse number one. We're in the second half. Knowledge puffs up, but love does what? Love edifies. Love is what the whole thing is. You know what your goal is? Why do you get up a half hour every day and try to seek God and spend time with Jesus in the Word? It's to become more like Jesus. And the very essence of your Christianity is love. And so the knowledge is important. We want to be scholars. We want to, you know, Calvary Chapel prides ourselves in, in knowing the Word of God, Genesis to Revelation. We believe it's, it's one of the strengths of, of seeing people's lives change, of not getting out in left field and having weird doctrine and um, cult beliefs. Because you, when, you, when you take from the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, every chapter, every verse, and when you make a decision, you account all the counsel of 66 books. The Apostle Paul says, I have not shunned to declare to you the entire counsel of God's word. And that's our mantra, the entire counsel. But as we seek that knowledge, we have to be careful that the knowledge, if the knowledge doesn't make us more, what? Loving. If it doesn't make us more like Jesus, then, then we're, we're, we're seeking it in the wrong direction. Somebody say amen so we can move on. Verse 2, and if anyone thinks he... he and if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet as he ought to know. So I don't know what Paul's saying there to these guys in verse 2. You're dumb, I guess. I don't know. You think you know something? You don't know nothing. I guess it's like the young college kid. He thinks he knows everything until he's been on the job for 20 years. Then he realizes he didn't know nothing. In verse 3 it says, but if anyone... One more time, y'all. But if anyone... Loves God, thank you. This one is known by him. So again, the heart again is loving God, loving God. Hey, let me explain one thing really quickly. And I don't know, I explain this a lot, so some of you it's going to be redundant. Maybe for some of you it'll be fresh. Um, Where we are in the Bible, these people were born um, under the law of Moses. So so God's intent for them to relate to, to God was through the temple, was through sacrifice, was through ritual hand washing and ceremony and and following the law of Moses. Well, somewhere in the middle of their lives, let's say a guy was was you know forty years old the day that Jesus died on a cross, and now here we are, say ten years later, and and he grew up forty years very faithfully. He loved God, he served God faithfully through the law of Moses, but now he is actually living through a dispensation change. We went from the dispensation of law, Jesus dying on the cross, to now grace. And the, the things that you didn't have to do or had to do, you know, 10 years ago, you don't have to do today. Same God. No other generation in human history other than this one would live through this transition. So it was very unique, some of these things we're studying in the Bible, because these people are like still trying to figure out how much of that old person and old law do I have to still be in the New Testament, and having all this new freedom was, was strange, but God did something super amazing. 
what he did was he made bacon cheeseburgers kosher. So all they had to do was bite into one of those. And these new freedoms, and they couldn't eat bacon in the Old Testament, you know, and, and they couldn't eat cheese and meat together. But now Jesus, he, he, he uh, sanctified all that. He washed it, and, and, and that changed their lives for good. But, um, but so anyways, these, these folks are going through that. So some of the dynamic that, again, they had, we don't have. Verse 4, therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and there is no other God but one. So what's the truth, right, in reality? How many gods are there in this world? We all know there's one God, right? There's only one real God that has power that does anything. But in the same concept, we oftentimes talk about many gods. Um, Satan is described as the god of this world. But when we, when we describe these other gods, we, we understand that we're talking about false deities, false gods, little g's. Um, we're talking about, you know, the psalmist, and I think Isaiah as well, in writing of these gods, because the, the ancients would actually carve images of their, of their little gods, whether it was Baal or Asterisk or whatever gods they were serving in, in Athens. And they said there were more gods than people in Athens, Greece, you know. And so, but they would carve them. And the Bible says you, you carve little hands in these um, in these in these idols, but they can't touch. You give them mouths, but they can't speak. You give them eyes, but they can't see. You give them ears, but they can't hear. And, and so th- this is the concept that Paul's talking about, is that we know there's only one God. And so, um, you know, these, these, these animals that are being sacrificed to idols, how, how does it physically affect your life? It doesn't. Like, it, it can't, right? Like, we understand there's no power behind any of that stuff. That's all just superstition and nonsense. And so Paul's saying, for the mature believer who can handle that, he, he can probably eat these meats that were sacrificed to idols because he just doesn't bother him. It's like, um, you know, I, I had a, a friend and, and, and he had this, I don't know what they were, witches or covens or some cult thing, and they were casting spells on him and doing something to him. And he's like, I don't care what they do. It can't affect me. Like, they can do whatever they want over there. I'm in Jesus. I'm covered in the blood. He that's in me is greater than he that's in the world. And and whether what this people do about me and for me, it doesn't bother me. Let them have at it. Like, it doesn't change my life or who I am. It can't affect me. It can't touch me. He just had that that understanding. And so, in in essence, there's this attitude about this specific topic where Paul says, if that's who you are, you're mature in Christ. He says, but for some, they're weaker in the faith and they are a little more superstitious. Or you may have somebody who... Um, was saved out of these temples. Because this was huge business in Corinth where this church is being planted. So maybe your job was you worked in the butcher shop in the temple and you helped sacrifice these animals. You helped cut up the meats that would go to the restaurants where they would sell the meat after, the, um, after they were sacrificed. And, 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 so, and now going back there and partaking of it as a believer that you've renounced that, is, it just makes you feel uncomfortable. And so for that person, Paul says, then, you, then don't eat them if, you, you know, if it bothers your conscience. And then in verse 5 it says, For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as, many, as there are many gods and many lords. So we know that, that concept, right? Yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we all live. Amen? So... You know, part of the law of Moses was even um, superstitious in some of its um, concepts. Like, for example, in this idea, there was a particular demon called Shipta. And this demon would get on your fingers when you slept. And then if you, if you got your meat and you ate your meat, it would transfer, the demon would transfer from your fingers to the meat. And then you'd get demon possessed. Anybody afraid of that? Okay, good. But these superstitions were valid, they were real, and so even with the Jews, they do this elaborate hand washing so that if the demon Shipta got on your fingers when you were sleeping, you could wash it off. Do you remember when the Pharisees were um, watching Jesus' disciples eat and they came and they accused Jesus' disciples of not washing their hands? Your disciples don't wash their hands before. It had nothing to do with hygiene. It had to do with this ceremony of washing the this, this ceremony of washing thing. And so, again, all of that stuff, Paul is saying that, you know, it, it, if it bothers you and you're still worried about it, then by all means, don't eat the meats that are offered to idols. Do those things. And then, um, but if it doesn't, you have liberty. Now, the second part of our, our topic today was Christian liberty. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. And then we'll be done here pretty soon. Um, so you have 
liberty as a Christian unless your liberty causes another brother to stumble. So you can eat the meat, but if you go with that guy who used to work in the temple and he has a problem and he sees you bellied up to the, the rib bar with the, with the meats that are offered to idols and it causes him to stumble, then, then even though you have Christian liberty and it's not sin for you, is it right for you to do that? Maybe not. Maybe because of your love for that other brother, you, you don't eat that meat in front of him. You know, you don't do it in his face. You know, you get it to go and you eat it when he's not looking. That's a good way to do it. Um, in verse 6 it says, Yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. I read that again because that's a power-packed verse, but... I'm not going to preach that one today. It's just got too much in it. Let's keep going. Verse 7 says, However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some with consciousness of the idol until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But food does not condemn us to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. And so Paul's saying again, it's sixes, right? Jesus said, it's not what goes into you that defiles a man, but that which comes out of you. And again, so we, we make a big deal about whether we eat. You know, um, in Romans, Paul's making the argument about a weaker Christian and a stronger Christian. And one of them has lots of convictions and lots of rules and lots of things that they won't do. And, and, and you think, okay, that in this scenario is the stronger brother. But actually what Paul says is that, that that's the weaker brother. The, the stronger Christian has a, a liberty in Christ and a freedom to, to not be bound by all these rules. And it kind of flips the script on what you would think is the two as Paul is explaining this, this scenario. He says the weaker brother eats vegetables only. You can interpret that how you want, but that's what the Bible says. Um, you know, because the, the, the one that has liberty in Christ can exercise those things. And so that's in Romans 14 if you want to look it up. And it says... Um, in verse number 9, but beware lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. You know, the Apostle Paul said, I have, and you're going to get it in the next chapter too. I almost did the two chapters together today, and I said, no, let's just do one, try to end a little early today. Um, but we'll get it in the next chapter. But the Apostle Paul, so fabulously, so, so powerful. You know, he says that I have liberty but I've made myself a slave basically to the people so that I might win them to Christ. You know, I know, I know some Christians. And I know some Christians, and they'll put their foot down. They know Christian liberty. They know it's not sin for them. And, you know, I can do this, and I can have a drink, and I can do that, and I can do this. I have this Christian liberty. And they do. God bless them. All those things are true. You have liberty for all those things in your life that you want to put your foot on. But rather than put your foot down and... I have Christian liberty, understand there's a bigger picture at play. Maybe sometimes, you, when you get to heaven, do you know what, what your value is going to be in heaven? And this is important. This is life. How many of you guys believe? Raise your hand if you believe that when you breathe your last, you're going to open your eyes and you're going to see something different. You're going to see Jesus. If, if that, is that in your future? Whether the rapture happens, whether you live to be 120, die of old age, or whether you slip on a banana peel in the coffee shop on your way out and that's it. You're going to see Jesus when you exit, right? Okay, so if, if that, and that's going to happen, right? It's not like a may, like that's coming someday in your life. Do you want to be ready for that day? How do you want that day to go? Right? Do, do you want to, you, you know there's going to be like a, the Bible says that you're going to have or not have something in your hand to offer to Jesus. Man, that, that, I've said this a million times, but that, that moment motivates my life. And I don't care how much, how little, but I'll tell you one thing. I don't want to be the guy that's in line and Jesus is waiting and I'm just, I got nothing. I got nothing to offer him. What would you do with your life? I got pretty good at golf. I was number one out of 17 million people on Xbox and whatever, Call of Duty. Like, 
you want to have something to offer him. Well, let me tell you what the value is that you're going to have. It's people. It's people that you loved, that you made a difference in their life. It's not going to be how much money you made. It's not going to be, it's going to be people. And what did you do in your life to love and serve people? Your family, your friends, your neighbors, that you love people. And so you want to stand on your Christian liberty, but I'm just encouraging you, I'm telling you, and I'm not trying to condemn nobody in here, you have your Christian liberty. But I see Christians make this mistake, honestly. They, they exercise that Christian liberty because they have it, even if it's at the expense of other believers who they're causing to stumble. You know, you, 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 you have liberty, have a drink. But listen, if you have a drink around other Christians that, that don't have the discipline that you have just to have a drink without getting drunk all the time, and, and you cause them to stumble, and, and, and you feed into their, you make them think it's okay, it doesn't make them right, but still, you're, you're feeding into that. And, and, and so you, you maybe don't exercise your Christian liberty. And let's be very clear, and I don't know where that line is. You know, and again, you guys can study it for yourself, but the, the Bible says, I, I can't say from the Bible that it's, it's sin to drink, or it's sin to have a drink. But what the Bible is clear about is that it's sin to get drunk. So where's that line? Is it one? Is it one and a half? How far is it in Utah before the cops pull you over and take you to jail? Maybe, maybe, maybe that's your line. Not very much. It's not very much. But, you know, again, but you have liberty. And, and, and the Bible also about, about alcohol says that it's alcohol is, or that, that wine is, is joy to the soul. You know, some, some Christians, some pastors say, oh, well, that alcohol in the Bible wasn't really alcohol. It was just like more like grape juice. Oh, really? Because Paul says in Ephesians 5 that you could get drunk with that grape juice. So how much grape juice are you going to have to drink to get drunk? And then some will go the other way and say, oh, well, Jesus made wine. He made, he made, oh, it wasn't fermented. No, it was fermented because the people at the party got drunk. It was good wine, too. Because the, 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 the guests came and they said, hey, you, say, you, you saved the best wine for last. I mean, whatever Jesus makes is going to be best. You guys want to know the best fish recipe ever? Try to figure out what Jesus did with that fish he was barbecuing when the disciples came out of the boat and Jesus was cooking the fish on the beach. You think he, like, counted how many salt granules perfectly to make it? I mean, Jesus made it. It had to be perfect. You know, one of the things that, that you know, and I've heard people use these other stupid things. Oh, well, Jesus drank. That doesn't work that way. You don't justify it like that. And again, what did Dad say in your life? Can you honestly, consciously, can you, can you, you know, have that, that liberty and, and God's okay with it in your life. He is. And again, there's, there's liberty in Christ. Oh, well, Jesus drank. Well, listen, let me tell you something about what Jesus said in Matthew. When he instituted the Lord's Supper, they, they drank. It would have been fermented wine that they used in communion, the Last Supper. And as Jesus drank that, he said, I will not drink of this cup again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So for 2,000 years, Jesus has taken a sabbatical from drinking. And he said he will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until it is presented in the kingdom of God. So, but again, you have your liberty. But if your liberty causes somebody to stumble, here's the other problem, right? We just know it, right? If, if your liberty creates in your own life bondage, and that's the difficult thing with a lot of this stuff. And I've, I'm, I'm picking on drinking, but it would apply to a lot of other areas of Christian liberty. But if, if your liberty is going to lead itself to a habit, to bondage, to, you know, then, then again, it's not liberty anymore. Something that binds you that you have to do. It's not something you get to do, you guys. That's not a blessing anymore. It's a curse. I don't want to be a bondage to anything. Well, maybe like chocolate chip cookies, but I'll be, I'm in bondage to chocolate chip cookies, I have to say, and tacos. I, I, want, a, I want a hot body, but I like tacos too. Um, all right. Where are we at? Nine, ten? Ten. Let's go ten. For if anyone sees you, for if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be embodied to eat those things offered to idols? So again, you guys are catching right the concept of, the, of your Christian liberty, and and you can eat it. It's not sin for you to eat those meats offered to idols. And you can go to the restaurant, and you can eat them. Everything's great. But, but again, just if you have a weaker brother, you have somebody maybe struggles in that area, for their sakes, you don't have the, the meat at that time. Or again, I, I was being really actually serious. I said it jokingly, but you could, you could take it. You could take it home. 
and you can eat it at your house where you're not going to cause anybody else to stumble. It's not sin for you. It doesn't plague your conscience that you're eating meats that were offered to idols or, or having experiencing some Christian liberty in one of these areas. And then in verse 11, and because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. Again, just a, a thing of love. Again, that's, that's speaking to that Christian brother who I said, or Christian sister, who insists on standing on their Christian liberty, even if it hurts people around them. And, and, and so this is what Paul is saying, that that brother may perish who Christ died for. Jesus loves this person, and, and yet because of your liberty, you're willing to hurt them, you know. And, and again, I, 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 Paul says, I become all things to all men so that I might win some. To the Greek, I became as a Greek. To the Roman, I became as a Roman. To the free man, I became as a free man. To the slave, I became as a slave. To the Jew, as a Jew. As a Gentile, as a Gentile. So that I might win some to Christ. Because, again, Paul's passion and and your passion as a Christ follower, my passion as a Christ follower, somewhere has to be seated, rooted in this concept that your life is is to tell other people about Jesus, to see people come to Jesus. How many of you guys are, you know, happy just going to heaven as long as you're going to heaven? Okay, everybody else around you goes to hell. I'm in. Everybody else can go to hell. I'm in. No, right? You're in now, so now you have an onus, a responsibility that the people around you you have to share and and want to share the gospel with them. You know, I say all the time about Christians. Oh, you Christians, you want to push your faith down everybody's throat. You're the only group of people that just has to go preach to everybody. Everybody else can be content where they are except for you guys. Well, yeah. I have a passion. I have a desire. And if what I believe is true, you better shut up and listen. Because <laughs> it's hot where you're going. No, I don't know where they're going. But you're perishing without Jesus. And yes, I have a passion to, and I have to share with you because I'm not pushing it down your throat. I'm loving you. Check, check this out. Let, let's say um, somebody you love, hypothetically, dies and goes to hell. While they're there in judgment, they're remembering you were a Christian. The same person who said, you're cramming it down my throat. How, how do you think, what do you think that person's attitude is going to be at that point? Probably, why didn't you tell me? Why You knew, and here I am. Why didn't you help save me from this? And, and as a watchman, if you don't blow the trumpet when the enemy army's coming, the blood of, of the war is on your hands, the Bible says. And so, again, we have this onus, this responsibility. And those same people who are mad at you now, they're not mad at you. They're just mad at Jesus and God. You can just brush it off, brush your shoulders off because it's not about you. So keep keep pushing it down their throat tactfully, lovingly, and, and, and with passion and being led by the Holy Spirit, not in the flesh. But, again, I guarantee you that person will be much, much more thankful that you did share your faith on a consistent basis even when they didn't necessarily want to hear it. Amen? Okay, so then we're almost done. And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when thus sin against the brethren, and without their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Could Paul eat meat offered to idols? Okay, the answer is yes. Paul was a strong Christian. He had no problem. He knew there was no power in it. It was some dumb thing that the pagans did. And then they offered up a really nice tri-tip when it was done. So he could eat it. No problem. He says, but if me eating this would cause one of my brothers to stumble in their faith because they're weaker and it offends them, I won't eat it. I'd rather die than eat it, he just says. Okay? So hopefully that paints the picture so we can be done today. You know, that, that there's liberty. But unless that liberty stumbles. Now, two verses. I want you guys to write these down again if you guys take notes. If you write in your Bibles, write these down. We're going to look at them. They're, they're right here. We don't have to go very far. A page this way, a page that way. But this is the answer, the final answer. There's really three um, parts to the Christian liberty and gray area to define it. The third one, I've already gone over. The way that we define Christian liberty is we talk to Jesus. And we ask him what's right in our life. Don't come to me. Now, again, I, I don't ever want to push you guys away when I say things like this, because I often say things like this. But I, I'm trying to build you up. But you can always come to me. But don't come to me and say, can I watch this movie or is this movie sin? Because what I'm going to say to you is when you prayed about it, what did God say? 
What did God put on your heart? Take it to God. Take it to God. If you've already taken it to God, maybe this, this would be a great question. You could come to me and say, man, I've really been praying about it a bunch. I've been in the Word looking for an answer, and I don't have one yet. What do you think about this? Man, that's, that's a great conversation. Now we, we can help unpack it together. But make sure you take it to God first before you take it to another brother or another sister. Amen? And hear God's voice. Know what it is. Listen to the things. Part of the things is God's already told you. You just don't want to listen. Right? Like, you already you know what's right and wrong. You don't want to do wrong anyways. You know? And so just knowing what's right and what's wrong. Um, I do got to say one thing. Let, I'm, I'm going to use the example of the Big Brother. Big Brother's a TV show. I don't watch it. Okay? Um, I, the, the, there, we, I had a guy. He was a teacher in our school. And he just had this, like, I don't know, wrenching his engine about the, the show Big Brother. He's a Christian guy. He loved it. He had seen it or something. It was trash. And, and there was a group of, of Christians in, in, in the school or church or something, and they would get together and watch Big Brother. And he, he was so offended by the fact that they would watch this trash because it was so sin for them to watch Big Brother. But this group of Christians who was watching Big Brother, they had no conviction about it. They had no sin. So for the one guy who thought it was trash and was convicted, it was sin for him. And for this other group, it, it, it was, wasn't sin for them. Until when? Until God begins to speak to their... Could God speak to the hearts of the group that's watching this show? And if it's trash and it's not feeding their souls and God would rather them spend that time somewhere else, is God capable to tell that group that? Yeah, so the guy who had this really hang-up about Big Brother and Christians shouldn't be watching it, what he did was the mistake he made was he looked down his nose at him and he said, that's sin for you guys. That's sinful. No, it wasn't. And it's not you to call a gray area of sin in somebody else's life. Pray for him. Love him. Encourage him. You can say, yeah, I don't particularly watch that show. I don't like it. I think it's trash. But, you know, um, talk to God about it. And if, and if you have peace about it, then, you know, exercise your Christian liberty. But where we have to be careful as Christians is if God convicts you of something that's a gray area, Understand, it's not sin across the board for everybody else. So don't be legalistic because that's where legalism comes in. And that's one of the most dangerous things that can happen in the church and in the life of any believer is self-righteousness and legalism. You live by your convictions and let me live by mine. And let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit is very capable of speaking to me <laughs> if there's something he wants to tell me. So encourage me to listen to God. But, but love me, encourage me, you know, set the example but don't judge around the room. Don't judge other people because of their liberties. Amen? Okay, so the two things I want you to look at as we wrap up. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat. So here's the answer for the final three. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. Okay, highlight that. Write that down. All things are lawful for me. Everybody say, all things. Now, I don't know if this is 100% true, but we have a little saying in church that says, uh, and all means what in the Greek? All means all. All in the Greek. Everybody, all means all. So he says, all things are lawful for me, Paul says. I have Christian liberty. You Listen, all things are lawful for you. He said, but all things are not helpful. And, and so I, I want to serve Jesus. I want to do the things that my Father wants me to do. Sure, I have, a, I have the, the, the right, the legal right in Jesus, and it's not sin to do A, B, or C. But those things are not helpful for me. They're not helpful to my family. They're not helpful to my business. They're not helpful to my health. They're not helpful to um, my, my relationship with Jesus. Sure, I could do them, but maybe I shouldn't just because they're not helpful. All things are lawful for me, verse 12, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Again, we've already talked about that. The freedoms that we have in Christ can also become bondage in your life. Okay, 1 Corinthians 6, 12, that's part of the equation. And then the other part of the same equation is 1 Corinthians 10, 23 and it says all things are lawful for me but not all things are helpful all things are lawful for me but not all things edify what does edify mean edify means build up lift up make me better okay so i have liberty for those things but it doesn't mean i want to necessarily want to do them you know I, i am done let's have the worship team come on up um Sometimes I, I, I try to purposely, like for shock value, invite, uh, when I invite people to church, and I had a guy and I was working with him, 
um, in the Walmart DC when I worked there. And he was neat. He loved me. We were good friends. And I'd invite him to church from time to time. And he'd say, he'd say, oh, pastor, I'm just honest with you. I, I don't come to church because I like to drink, man. And I'd say, dude, you don't have to stop drinking to come to church. I can drink. I said, I drink all I want to drink. He's like, well, I smoke everyone. I, I smoke. I smoke all I want to smoke. <laughs> you know? And, and you don't have to stop smoking to come to church. You don't have to stop drinking to come to church. You can't clean the fish before you catch them. You guys like the fish? Anybody magically clean the fish before you catch it? you got to catch the fish first, and then you can clean it. And so you, you don't have to stop drinking to come to church. You don't have to stop. You know, you know what happened in, in my life? I, didn't, I never went with the drug addiction, the bondage that I was in. I never went to AA. I never went to any kind of recovery or, or rehab or anything like that. I, I started pointing my nose at Jesus, and pretty soon I'm like, I haven't done drugs in like six months. Whoa, how'd that happen? I, I haven't done this. And these things began just to fall out of my life. Because I was focused on Jesus and I was focused on moving forward. And, 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 you know, all those things, yeah, I have liberty in them, but I don't do them because I don't want to do them. I don't do them because I don't need to do them. And it's not like I, I can't do them because I can serve Jesus. I, I, I do all I want to do, which is none. I just have liberty. It's freedom, amen? Amen. Let's stand. Hey, I'm excited. I got a shipment of Bibles that just came in, you guys. We, we I like to keep lots of Bibles stocked here at the church, and we ran out. So I got some New Believers Bibles. They're on the table on the way out. Um, they're written by Greg Laurie, and it's got great commentary. It's written in the New Living Translation, which is an easy-to-read translation. Hey, those are our gift to you guys. If anybody needs a Bible, that's not necessarily a study Bible. That's more of a Christian living Bible and growing if you're new in your faith. But if anybody would like one, they're on the table on the way out, and they are free um, if you'll use it, if you'll read it, if you'll pass it on to a new believer, um, please take one, okay? And then, and then next to them are some regular New King James Bibles. If you need a Bible, um, please take one. There's a couple different styles there for you. Um, hang on to it. Bring it with you to church every Sunday. Write in it. Highlight it. But on your way out, table on the left, some Bibles on it. You guys are all welcome to them if you need a Bible. Um, if you take some Bibles and you'd like to make a donation to offset the cost, you're welcome to do that. You know where the love offering box is in the back. And then um, also as you leave here today, if you would like individual prayer, we have a prayer team that will be in the prayer room. They also have the Bibles there. We want to make sure if anybody's a new believer that you get a Bible. Um, and if you have any needs or requests, or you just want to talk to somebody, um, if you have any questions about anything I've said in a sermon or anything that you didn't understand, you can take that back there. If you need to, you can take it to me or they can bring it to me. But anything that you need, you want to talk, you need prayer, when you leave the sanctuary, you just make a left down the hallway and the prayer team is there to hang out with you and meet your needs. Amen? And also Pat and Angie will be up front if anybody would like individual prayer as we uh, sing this last song. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for this day, God. And Lord, we give you glory and honor. And Lord, we just had so much to talk about today, just about Christian liberty and um, what's right and what's wrong. And Lord, ultimately, it, it's written the, upon the tablets of our heart. That was an Old Testament. That, that happened when Jesus died on the cross and rose. And we were given the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. That now, Lord Jesus, the Word of God is written upon the tablets of our heart. Which means, Lord, that we have the ability through your Spirit to, to know what's right and wrong. To know what's stumbling our walk. To know what's helpful and what's not helpful. And Jesus, I pray that if we're making compromises or if we're doing things or behaviors in our life as Christ followers that's affecting other Christians or other non-Christians who don't want to walk with Jesus because they see the way we're living, then, Lord, I pray that we would repent of those. And, yeah, we have liberty to do them, but our liberty is hurting other people. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that, that we would seek Jesus, that we would know your will, that if we have something going on we're not sure about, that we know you're just a prayer away, an open Bible away to answer those questions and to guide and lead our lives, God. And so, Father, we thank you. We praise you, Lord God. And, uh, Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I feel like I want to answer one question because there was one question that was arise. Starbucks. Okay, when all that stuff was happening, was it sin for a Christian to go drink Starbucks? It was sin for that Christian 
if your conscience plagued you and God told you not to go there. It wasn't sin for you if you didn't have that. And so if you drove by Starbucks and you saw your Christian neighbor there drinking it, the sin is if you look down your nose and you say, how could they go to that Starbucks after what they did? Okay, that's sin. And if God spoke to your heart, be obedient to that. Right now, there's an issue going on that's driving my wife crazy. She's talked about it all week. She keeps asking me the same question. Have you seen this? Have you seen? I'm like, yes, babe, I've seen it. The Netflix thing that's going on right now with this show. Everybody's canceling Netflix. As Christians, should you cancel Netflix? Should you do this or whatever? You know, part of the problem in life, you guys, is if, if, we, if we canceled all those things in our lives, and you really looked at a fine-tooth comb of what you have in your life, you would have to go get naked and live on a hill to, to really get, get, get it done because you would have to cancel everything in your life. It just it doesn't work. But if God puts something on your heart specifically and there's a certain cause you want to champion... You know, through all that, I still went to Starbucks because my mocha tasted better than the protest did to me. And other people differently. And I, now I like to, you know, if I can, I'll go to Jana's instead of Starbucks because their coffee's better anyway. And I support the local people. But it, it, it's, it's a matter of your conscience and your heart. And if God puts it on your heart, your conscience, then you be obedient to that. And you love other brothers and sisters, whether they be weaker or stronger Christians in Christ, and you don't judge them for the decisions they make for themselves. Nor can you put a blanket over something and say, we have to all do this as believers because this is right, this is wrong. And it all is blanket to one big word, one big concept, which is love. Everybody say, look at your neighbor and say, I love you. Somebody you didn't come with, tell them you love them. It's cool. You guys don't like this. That's weird for you guys. You guys are freaking out right now. To tell somebody you love them? Come on, you're a Christian. Your life is to love people. Sing it out. I love you. I love you. We're going to start doing this at church now. You guys stop coming. That church makes us tell people we love them. Hey, we love you guys. God loves you guys. Have a great week. Please come up if you'd like individual prayer. Let's worship together before you bounce too fast, before you take off. It's three more minutes of your lives, and then you can go get your kids. We love you guys. Have a great week.